Exodus 23. We're going to look at verse number 20. I'm going to read down to verse number 33. As I've gone through this passage, I thought, Neil, what do I skip? The last time I preached through the book of Exodus, uh, I really wanted to hit this passage. But because of the time constraint I had, I had to leave this out because I wanted to get into the tabernacle and things like that. And so this time I said, you know what, I'm not going to leave this out. I want, I want to talk about the angel of the Lord a little bit. And, uh, and so I, I wasn't going to rob myself of that pleasure this time around. Amen? And so that's what we have next after the giving of the law, after he talked about the feasts and so forth. Now God's telling them how he's going to take care of them as they make their way to the uh, promised land. And so Exodus chapter 23, verse number 20, we'll read these 13 verses. It says, Behold, I send, an angel, I send an angel before thee to keep thee in the way and to bring thee into the place which I have prepared. Beware of him and obey his voice. Provoke him not, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. But if thou shalt indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy unto thine enemies and an adversary unto thine adversaries. For mine angel shall go before thee and bring thee in unto the Amorites, the Hittites, and the Perizzites, and the Canaanites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and I will cut them off. Thou shalt not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do after their works, but thou shalt utterly overthrow them and quite break down their images. And you shall serve the Lord your God, and he shall bless thy bread and thy water, and I will take thy sickness from the midst of thee. There shall nothing cast their young, nor be barren in thy land. The number of thy days I will fulfill. I will send my fear before thee, and will destroy all the people to whom thou shalt come, and I will make all the enemies turn their backs unto thee. And I will send hornets before thee, which shall drive out the Hivite and the Canaanite and the Hittite from before thee. I will not drive them out before thee in one year, yes, the land become desolate, and the beasts of the field multiply against thee. By little and little I will drive them out from before thee, until thou be increased and inherit the land. And I will set thy bounds from the Red Sea, even unto the Sea of the Philistines, and from the desert unto the river, for I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and thou shalt drive them out before thee. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor with their gods. They shall not dwell in thy land, lest they make thee sin against me. For if, they, if thou serve their gods, it will surely be a snare unto thee. Uh, let's pray. Lord, help me, I pray, to uh, make sense of this uh, message today. I pray your Holy Spirit would bring that understanding. And Lord, I pray this would help us practically today to live a better Christian life, to prepare ourselves to do the will of God for our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're looking at the angel of the Lord. Now the angel of the Lord in the scripture is a very special angel. It's not necessarily an angel at all. In fact, many times it's what we call the pre-incarnate appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's several such instances throughout the scripture. And I believe this is one of them, uh, where the Lord actually went before them and fought their battles for them. Uh, my opening paragraph, it just says... Um, Israel has now been camped at Sinai for 11 months and we're getting ready to leave to Kadesh Barnea to face the promised land. We know they will, face, they will fail to cross over and will wander for 40 years. An important part of Israel's success was that, he, was that the Lord would be with them. Without the Lord, they would not be able to survive. After, I don't think you have the rest of that. I'm sorry, I don't have that either. Well, what's the last sentence? Can someone read that real quick? Okay, so the promise was given to send the angel of the Lord to go before them. And so this, is, this was vital here. It's a, it's a little passage tucked in Exodus. You don't hear a lot about it, and a lot of people don't preach about it. But I'll tell you something. If that angel would have not gone before them, they wouldn't have made it to the promised land, <laughs> nevertheless, you know, but they could have made it into the promised land if they would have just believed. And so I want to talk about this a little bit. The number one, the person of the angel of the Lord, letter A, an Old Testament pre-incarnate appearing of Christ is called a theophany or a Christophany. And so just facts that you maybe will find interesting. A theophany is just where God comes and reveals himself. 
uh, Christophany is where you can basically nail it down that this is the pre-incarnate Christ that has appeared to man in the Old Testament. Uh, number one, Christ would appear as a man. Genesis 18, when he, when he met uh, Abraham, there he came in. It says three men came to meet him. And two of them were angels. One of them was the Lord. Now, you wouldn't tell the difference between the three. They all looked like men, but they weren't the same. Amen. They were just uh, revealing themselves through the appearance of a man. Number two, Christ would also appear in his glorious state. Remember, we looked at that in Daniel chapter 10 and how that was so interesting when we went through there and Daniel saw that. Then I lifted up mine eyes and looked and behold, a certain man clothed in linen. So there he saw him as a man whose loins were girded with fine gold of Euphaz. His body also was like beryl and his face as the appearance of lightning and his eyes as lamps of fire and his arms and feet like the color to polished grass, brass sorry, and the voice of his words like the voice of a multitude. Now, if you go to Revelation chapter 1, verse 13, there's no doubt that it's talking about Jesus Christ here. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with garment down to his foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle, his head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in the furnace, and his voice as a sound of many waters." And so there you see that, that uh, similarity between the appearing to Daniel and the appearing in Revelation chapter 1. So you had an angel appear to Daniel in that chapter, but this wasn't that angel. This was the, the, uh, what you would call a Christophany. And many times you'll see that in the scripture. Letter B, Christ is the word, a messenger of God. And why do I say that? Well, the Bible says in the beginning was the word, and the word is with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Um, in Malachi 3.1, it says, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way for me. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. So there you have Jesus referred to as a messenger. Now the word angel, as we see in that, uh, the definition there, is a messenger. The term often denotes one sent on business or diplomacy by another personage. So Jesus Christ comes at the bidding of his Father. And you've got to remember this, that Jesus Christ is always the physical expression of God to man. God has never revealed himself. You've never seen what God looks like. The only thing we know what God looks like is, is through the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the, 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 the brightness of his glory, the express image of God. Amen? And so every time you have a physical manifestation of God in the Bible, or I wouldn't say every time, I haven't done that much study yet, but most of the time you'll have the Lord Jesus Christ being that one that is, that is physically manifesting that to mankind. Amen. And so that's quite interesting. Um, so Christ is the word. Let her see. Christ is the declaration of God. Notice in John 1.18, No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. And notice those words, declare. What do you do when you declare? You're usually speaking something. And it's interesting that Jesus Christ is the word. And so the Lord is using these words to explain to us that Jesus is that expression of God to mankind. And that also equates with this book right here. Uh, folks, if you can't have a perfect Bible, how can you have a perfect Savior? If you can't say there's a living word that's perfect, how can you say that there's a written word that's perfect? Because he's the one that gave it to us. <laughs> Amen. And he's the one that declared God to us. And so this book is the words of Christ. And so de declaration means to tell, to lead forward, to bring or lead out, declare thoroughly and particularly. And so many times the Jehovah's Witnesses will use this um, verse to try to trick you. And they'll only say the first part of it. They'll say, no man hath seen God at any time. Trying to tell you that, oh, you can't see God. That means you believe that Jesus is God and he's not because you've never seen God. But they leave out the last part, and I've caught guys in this. I says, well, read the rest of the verse. It says, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. 
He is the, the declaration of God. He's the full manifestation of God. I had a Jehovah's Witness call me not long ago, and he, he called me like he was sincerely asking a question, but he was really just trying to trick me. And I wouldn't fall for it. I, wouldn't, I don't discuss things with fools. Amen. And that's exactly what he was. He was a false teacher, and he was wicked. And he was just trying to make a, a tick on his sheet saying, I called the Baptist preacher, and he couldn't figure out this verse. You know, when I went to John chapter 1, where it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, then he didn't say anything, and he went back to his little niche verse that he's trying to trick me with. So I knew right there, this man is not looking for truth. This man is looking to get one over on me, trying to put me as a little check mark on his list that he can tell us, hey, I called the Baptist preacher, <laughs> you know? Folks, I don't care. You can tell people all you want. The truth is the truth. <laughs> Amen. That's all there's to it. And so letter D, we're going to look at Christ's pre-incarnate appearings. Warren Mearsby said, In the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord is generally interpreted to be the Lord himself, who occasionally came to earth, a theophany, to deliver an important message. It was probably the Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the Godhead, in a temporary pre-incarnation appearance. Amen. And so there's other, it's, this isn't just my idea. Uh, you know, most uh, preachers, most men of God will hold to this, that the angel of the Lord is a pre-incarnate appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Numbers 20, verse 16, it says, And when we cried unto the Lord, we heard our voice and sent an angel and hath brought us forth out of Egypt. And behold, we are in Kadesh, a city in the uttermost of thy border. So notice this angel didn't just come to them now. The angel was actually working before them while they were still in Egypt. Yet nothing was said about the, the angel at that point. It was just told generally. But now we're beginning to understand that there is, a, there is actually a, a being, a person, that's involved in the, in the everyday decisions of Israel. And that's what I want us to get here. To live in the presence of God and to live knowing that God's presence, presence needs to be with you for you to be victorious is very important. Or what you will do is you begin to think it doesn't matter if, if the Lord's with me today. Well, then you'll have a defeated day <laughs> because uh, as these things that he's saying to Israel are very applicable to the child of God as well. And I want to bring that out as we go through this. In 1 Corinthians 10 verse 4, it says, And we all did drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. And so Christ was there. Amen? He was following them. So it wasn't that he wasn't there. So there we have proof from the New Testament that Jesus Christ was there with them as they were wandering in the wilderness. Amen? And not just talking about a picture. Because Jesus isn't just a picture. He is a person. And he's an eternal God. Amen? He always has been and always will be. So remember when, when uh, Adam walked in the garden. And after they sinned, how God came down. He says, Adam, where art thou? That was a pre-incarnate appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. He revealed himself to Adam through that physical manifestation. That was a theophany. Amen? Now we know that God the Father didn't come and walk with him because you, you can't see him. No man hath seen God at any time. So there has to be a way that God reveals himself to mankind. And so secondly, we have meeting Abraham. Genesis 12, when he gave him the, the covenants, uh, talks about the angel of the Lord. Uh, later on, when the, remember when Sodom was going to be destroyed and the Lord was right there. And you can tell by the language that this is God talking here. And Abraham even understood later that, you know what, this is God. Uh, wrestling Jacob. Who wrestled Jacob that day? That was the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. That, that wasn't just an angel because there's no angel that could have said what he said when he was wrestling Jacob. Angels don't do that. Amen. And, and Jacob even said, I have met God face to face. Now, he wouldn't say that to an angel. Amen. And so he was wrestling with a pre-incarnate appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. The burning bush, uh, when Moses was talking to the fire, uh, it says that the angel of the Lord spake from the burning. And how was he speaking? Like he was God. Amen. He was saying, I have done these things. You have to obey me. He was using personal pronouns, and yet it was referring to the angel of the Lord. So what I'm telling you is, 
Don't get distracted by the fact of the word angel. The word angel just simply means messenger. In the book of Revelation, it says, unto the angel at Sardis, unto the angel at Ephesus. It's not writing a letter to an angel. Angels don't need letters written to them. He was, he was writing to the messenger of these churches, and that is the pastor. So they even equated the pastor as an angel. Amen? You say, oh boy, that's a long stretch. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but you know, but he's using it in, in that sense of being a messenger. And so some people say, oh no, it's talking about angels. Well, why in the world would you need to write a letter to an angel that is existing in the realm that you're in? Why would you have to give it to man to give it back to an angel? <laughs> you know, no, no. It gets revealed from God down through man, through the writers of the New Testament, and given to men. And that's how the word of God goes, okay? And so the word angel, you can't get distracted by that. But sometimes when that's used... It's actually referring to the pre-incarnate appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. How about withstanding Balaam that day? You listen to the words of Balaam, and I would, don't have time to read all these, otherwise I would. That's why I gave you the text there. Read them. And you'll see in the language itself, that's not just an angel talking there. He's talking in the first person. He's talking about, that has to be God speaking here. Amen? He was the one that stood in the way of that, of that donkey. He was the one that held, kept him at bay, and the donkey wouldn't move. You know, and he appeared to Balaam and talked to him. And he said, I will tell you what you're going to tell Balak. So he's saying, I'll give you the words. Now, when do angels do that? No, it was God himself. Amen. Uh, how about encouraging Gideon? When Gideon was called to go out and be a leader of the people, and he says, you know, thou great, thou valiant man. That was the Lord Jesus Christ. He was encouraging Gideon to take up the mantle and go fight for his people by faith. Amen. Then you have the announcing of the birth of Samson. At the end of that account, Manoah said, we have saw the, we've seen the Lord face to face. <laughs> you know, And yet that was the angel of the Lord. It was very clear. How about Hagar when she ran away from Abraham and, and, uh, and uh, Sarah? Because Sarah was speaking roughly with her. God found her out in the desert and he met her there as the angel of the Lord. And that as well, he gave promises to her about her future and the future nations and so forth. That was all first, that was all first person. Amen. So all these things, it's amazing when you look through it. This isn't all of them. Maybe you can go through the scripture, you can find them all over the place. But we have to give him credit when he is due. All right. I'll read you what Gideon said. And when Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord, Gideon alas, said, Alas, O Lord God, for because I've seen an angel of the Lord face to face. Amen. So he is uh, quite uh, taken by that. The fiery furnace. Remember that. Those three young men were put into the fiery furnace. And who was in there? The fourth man. And who's the one who figured out who it was? The king. There's a fourth like unto the Son of God. Amen. So that's a pre-incarnate appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ as well. Anyways, we've got to move on real quick here. Um, letter A. I'm going to give you some words here. Precede. This means to go before. What are some of the duties? What are, what's the purpose of the angel of the Lord? He says, Behold, I send an angel before thee. Before thee. So this is an interesting thing. There are no victories for God's people if the Lord does not go before us. See, he's not sitting from the back, you know, kicking us in the behind saying, go forward. Everywhere you've ever gone, the Lord's already been there. <laughs> he knows what's down that road. He knows exactly the end of that. The Lord is always has to go before us. And you know, you know where he goes before us? On the, on the way that he chooses. But if you choose to go your own way, how can you claim that the Lord has gone before me? See, the only way you can say that the Lord has gone before me is if you're traveling a path that he has called you to travel. <laughs> but if you go your own way, there's no Lord before you. You're trying to drag him behind you. Oh, the Lord's going to help me do my will. That's not what God says. This is all about doing his will. You're not supposed to choose what direction you go. God chooses for you, amen? So there's no victories for God's people. The Lord does not go before us. Uh, let's see if I want to read this. Um, 
Oh, remember in Numbers 14, verse 41, and Moses said, Where, Wherefore now do you transgress the commandment of the Lord, but it shall not prosper? You know what he's talking about? The children of Israel, that the day before, they were told to go into the promised land, and they said no because they were too afraid. But the next day, after they heard what God was going to do, let them die in the wilderness, the next day they got up real early in the morning, went on top of the hill and says, We're going in today. And Moses said, No, no, it shall not prosper. Go not up, for the Lord is not among you. Isn't it amazing? It's the same place they were going to go on the day before. The same geography. But that didn't matter. Geography doesn't matter. What mattered was, is that the Lord was with them. That's all Moses said. Just, the Lord is not with you. You're going to fail. But this, I can clearly see this is what God has talked about my whole life. Yeah, but if the Lord isn't going before you, you're going to fail. It says, that, it says that ye be not smitten before your enemies. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites are there before you, and ye shall fall by the sword, because ye are turned away from the Lord. Therefore the Lord will not be with you. Wow. You turn your heart away from the Lord, and man, we can talk real spiritual being away from the Lord sometimes. I've talked to some real spiritual backsliders. You know, It just seems like they're just so right with God. But you know what? They're not doing anything that God's asked them to do. No evidence of it in their life. And they're in danger. And we're in danger. When we're making decisions that are not where God has brought us to. Amen? But they presume to go up upon the hill. Presume. (laughs) Nevertheless, the ark of the covenant of the Lord and Moses departed not out of the camp. He says, I'm not going with you. Then the Amalekites came down and the Canaanites, which dwelt in that hill, and smote them and discomfited them, even unto Horma. So they lost. They lost people. Number two, the pillar of cloud and fire guided Israel. I'm going to take you back to Exodus 14, 19. It says, And the angel of God, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them. Remember when they just got up to Red Sea, and then they were kind of caught between the mountains and the sea, and the army behind them? The angel of God was there which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. So the pillar of cloud was associated with the movement of the angel of the Lord. So when the angel moved behind them, the pillar of cloud moved behind them. The pillar of cloud was that physical manifestation that they were supposed to look upon when when they were supposed to travel. And if it stood still, you stand still. If it keeps moving, you keep moving. That's all there's to it. In Exodus 19, 24, And the Lord said unto him, Away, get thee down, and thou shalt come up, thou and Aaron with thee. But let not the priests and the people break through to come upon, the, come upon the Lord, lest he break forth. That's not the right verse. I apologize for that. I kind of knew that at the beginning, but I thought I'd read it anyways. <laughs> Exodus 13, verse 21 says this, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and night. He took not away the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. So that was an aspect of the angel of the Lord. That was an aspect of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you think about it in your life. Your life has a pillar of cloud. Your life has a pillar of fire. There's something you have to look at and say, oh, I need to go this way. And you know what? You don't know what you're going to do. That's why I tell people, oh, you think you know 20 years what you're going to do? You don't know. Folks, I've been ministering now for over 20-some years. I, I still don't know what God's going to do. I mean, any preacher that's honest will tell you that. Anybody that sits there and says, oh, yeah, I got it all figured, figured out, I say, you're not following the cloud because that cloud could also lift up in a, at a drop of a hat and then you're gone. Or it can stay there for 30 years. But all I know is that's not my decision. That's the Lord's decision, amen? And for you as well. So you got to be careful about just going your own way because you feel it. Well, I just feel, well, that's not the way to be led, you know. You've got to be led through Christ by the Word of God. You should never, never violate the Scripture when you move somewhere or go somewhere. Some people, they'll go, I'm going to go live over there, and there's no church there. I'm going to tell you something. That is not, the pillar of cloud did not lead you there. That is your feelings. That is your desires. That's your belly. Amen. That's what you want. 
but you got to make sure you don't violate principle as you follow the Lord. Because if you do, you're like the children of Israel the day after. I'm going in anyways. No, you're not. <laughs> and I'm not going with you. And Moses was wise that way. In Isaiah 42, 16, it says, And I'll bring the blind by the way that they knew not. I will lead them in the paths that they have not known. I will make darkness light before them and crooked things straight. These things will I do unto them and not forsake them. Amen. That's what God does. Isaiah 30, verse 21, And thine ears shall hear a word from behind thee, saying, This is the way. Walk ye in it. When you turn to the right hand and when you turn to the left. That doesn't sound like, hey, this is what you're going to do the rest of your life. Can you name me one Bible character that they actually knew way things were going to end up? <laughs> you know, every one of them. Look at Joseph. He didn't have a clue how things were going to go. Just one thing after another, prison, here, slavery, all of a sudden he's the boss. You know, that's a voice behind you leading left and right, left and right. And that's the kind of Christianity we need. You know what? We're more of a, of a GPS Christianity. Turn right, turn left. Uh-oh, you turn, <laughs> you know. <laughs> you, you just messed up, you went a wrong turn. And the Lord will say, turn around. But we got this big map and we're saying, I'm here, I'm going to end up right there. You don't know where you're going to end up. You just need to take the right steps. That's what he's saying right here. When you turn to the right hand, when you turn to the left. Moses refused to go without God's presence. You see an example of that here in scripture because of Israel's sin in worshiping the golden calf, the tent of meeting was removed from the camp. Remember that that's what happened there? As soon as they worshiped that calf, the Lord says, okay, this is over. And they took the tent outside of the camp and Moses went to talk to God outside the boundaries of the camp because they had, uh, they had sin that was not dealt with in the, in the camp. The Lord also made a statement saying that he will not go with them. But due to his promise, he would send an angel to destroy their enemies as they go in. But it was different because in this he's saying, I'll, I'll send an angel. But he's not going to send the angel of the Lord. And that bothered Moses. So God said, I'm not going to go with you. My presence won't be with you, but I'll send an angel to fulfill the promise that you're going to go into the land. Moses just said, that ain't good enough for me. <laughs> what a smart man. What a good man. See, some of us, we wouldn't care. Well, as long as there's a way, we're going to go and do it. No, even if an angel goes with you, you ought to want the presence of the Lord with you. That's far more important. Exodus 33, 1, it says, and the Lord said unto Moses, Depart and go up hence, thou and the people which thou hast brought up out of the land of Egypt, unto the land which I swear unto Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob. So there he's talking about his promise, saying, Unto thy seed will I give it. And I will send an angel before thee, and I will drive out the Canaanite, and the Amorite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in the midst of thee, for thou art a stiff-necked people, lest I consume thee in the way. So why didn't the Lord want to spend time with Israel in the state that they were in? Because the Lord can't stand it. He can't stand having his presence around us when we're living in dirty, rotten, stinking sin. He says, I'll keep my promises to you. I'll protect you. You're saved. You go to heaven. But my presence can't be with you. Wow, what a sad thing. Christian, you know there are many Christians that are living in that state today? It's true. Yet, the Lord is fulfilling his promises. But do you understand there's something greater than some of the promises in the Bible? There's a fellowship and a communion you can have with God that brings you to a, a place that's far beyond <laughs> that love, joy, peace. I'm going to heaven, but we're miserable getting there. Amen? I'll send an angel. It'll be okay. You'll get there. <laughs> Folks, never forfeit the presence of God in your life. So Moses said, nope, not a good deal. And that's quite a thing to say to Jehovah. <laughs> Amen? And so Moses petitioned God to have his presence go before them based on grace. And God agreed. Exodus 33, verse 12, it says, and Moses said unto the Lord, See thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people that, that thou hast not, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. 
He says, I don't know who you're talking about here, an angel. I'm not clear about who this is you're talking about. To me, it just sounds like it's just one of your angels that's working for you. He says, it's not clear to me. Is it clear to you? While the Lord's with me, is it clear to you that the Lord is truly with you in your life? And he says, where am I? Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now therefore, why? Because I found grace in your sight. If I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way, that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. And he said, my presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And he said unto him, if thy presence go not with me, Carry us not up hence. For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not in that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. Amen. That is great. That'll preach. You know, He says, how is it that they're going to know that we're special if your grace is not with us? And it's true. You know what we got today? We got a bunch of Christians who don't have the grace of God on them. And you know what? They act like the world. They talk like the world. They, They react like the world. They don't handle problems like a Christian. They handle problems like the world because the presence of God isn't with them. Moses knew that if we're going to be a special set-apart people to this world, we've got to have your grace with us. Your presence has to be with us. That is the only way. While he had it figured out. And this is old te- Moses, the writer of the law, you know, is talking about grace. It's all about grace for the child of God. No presence of God, no grace of God upon your life. And do you think a Christian can live without the grace of God? Sure. You've been saved by grace. I mean, that's check mark. But there's a whole lot of other grace that you could have access to if you wanted it. But if God's not with you, no access. We talked about it on Sunday morning, amen? So, Moses was not satisfied with an angel. He wanted God's presence to be with him and he did not want to go. He says, if you're not going, I'm not going. Amen. I like that. What a great example that is. Letter B is protect. Behold, I sent an angel before thee to keep thee in the way and to bring thee in the place which I have prepared. And so the word keep means to hedge about, to guard, to protect, to attend to. And that's what the Lord Jesus is to us. Exodus 23, 27, I will send my fear before thee and will destroy all the people to whom thou shalt come and I will make all thine enemies turn their backs unto thee. Then he talks about sending hornets before thee. Isaiah 63, 9 says, In all their affliction he was afflicted and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity he redeemed them and he bare them and carried them all the days of old. How? through the angel of his presence, it says there. There we see a good verse. That ties in exactly to what we're talking about. The angel of his presence. Wow. He saved them. So <laughs> Moses just knew there's no way I'm going there without that. I will keep you in the, he will keep you in the way, the course of life, the mode of action, all those things, as you submit to the Lord and you go his way, he says, I will always keep you on that path. But he doesn't promise when you go your own way. You choose your own way. You know, we'll talk about, oh, the Lord is with you. You don't know what you're talking about. Because the Lord is with us as we follow him. He doesn't follow us around like a puppy on a leash. We walk with him as he chooses the, the way that we go. Amen. Judges 2 verse 1, an angel of the Lord uh, came up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I made you to go up out of Egypt and have brought you unto the land which I swear unto your fathers. Does that sound like an angel or God? (laughs) 
And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no league with the inhabitants of this land. You shall throw down their altars, but ye have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Wherefore, I also said, I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall be as thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare to you. And it came to pass when the angel of the Lord spake these words unto all the children of Israel, that the people lifted up their voice and wept. So you know what he's saying? I gave you the promise that if you wouldn't bow down to these idols, I would protect you, I'd give you everything, but now you've bowed down to the idols. So now you're going to have, they're going to be like a thorn in your side all your days. You know, boy, how many of us have thorns every day because we're not truly following the Lord with all of our heart. And you'll feel them every day. You'll be reminded every day. And then your spirit will reflect that every day. You know, I would just encourage whatever it is, just to bring it before the Lord and confess it. That is a first step. Confess it and get it cleansed. You know, sometimes the Lord can, can hold back, pull back some of those judgments that he places on us. But you know, sometimes there isn't. Sometimes he lets us continue with them our whole life. Like he did with, with Israel. Prepare, let her see. Behold, I sent an angel before thee to keep thee in the way and to bring thee into the place which I have prepared. Bring in means to cause to come in. Prepared means to establish uh, that definition. When I have the KGV there, it's just telling you how that word was, was uh, translated in the King James Bible. Prepare 85 times, establish 58 times, ready 17 times, establish five times. John 14, 1 says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. <laughs> that's so good. That's very practical. You can say, well, that's heaven. One day I'll be in heaven. But you know, also it's talking about how the Lord, he's always preparing the way before us. He's always been there before. And so whatever the will of God is, it's not a surprise to him. He's already done some work over there. So if he's coming to get you and say, walk on this road and go this way, you can be sure that's already been prepared for you. He comes to bring you in to a prepared place. As far as your salvation but also in your practical life. Amen? Uh, you know, I, never, I didn't know what God would do when we came to Airdrie. I thought, wow, you know, I don't know anybody here. How do we know what's going to happen? You know, we could sit here and be only our family for the next 10 years. To me, that would say it doesn't look too prepared, <laughs> you know. But you know something? As I, as I began to talk to people after the years of being here, even just recently just talked to someone about that, I said, it's just amazing, the timing. He said, you know what? We, we just moved here at this time and that time, and we were just looking for a church at that time, and it just, it just seemed the timing, and I didn't know that. But when he called, he had already prepared a place. That's why we have this. It's not because of me. It's because of God. And all of your hearts, wherever you were, the Lord was already knitting himself to you and directing your thoughts and minds, knowing that there was a place prepared. Amen. That's if you're in the will of God. Hopefully you are. (laughs) Amen. Number three, the priority given to the angel of the Lord. Letter A, it says, beware of him. That means to be circumspect. Take heed. Don't don't think little of him. Don't despise his place in your life. In Exodus 23, 13, he uses that word. It says, in all things that I have said unto you, be circumspect. Be circumspect. You see that in the New Testament in Ephesians 5.15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time for the days are evil. Wherefore, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Circumspect circumference. That means know what's around you. So many people, are they got the blinders on like horses. All they see is the, the road right in front of them. You have to do that to keep the horses from getting spooked. But the Lord says, I'm not giving you the spirit of fear. I want you to see all around you. 
I want to see where you've come from. I want you to see what's that way, what's that way. I want you to be aware of my warnings to you. I want you to be prudent. And that's something over and over I try to teach my kid. You know, the prudent man foreseeth evil and hideth himself. I said, kids, if you're one of these people that just get always looped into doing stupid things, it's because you're not being prudent. You're not thinking ahead and saying, who are these people? And and what kind of character do they have? And what do they really want to do tonight? And what do they really want to accomplish with this? Because if you were prudent, you'd ask those questions. And then you'd say, you know what? I'm going to hide myself from this. That's what the Bible says. That's a, that's a result of wisdom in your life, amen, of being circumspect. Beware as the Lord through his word warns you of these things in your life. Beware. Uh, let her be obey his voice. Beware of him and obey his voice, provoke him not. Obey means to hear intelligently, often with implication of attention and obedience. <laughs> Sometimes, I don't know if you're like this with your kids. If you tell them to do something, you say, hey, can you do this? Then you say, hey, hey. Come here. And you got to look you right in the eye. Would you do this for me? This is the second time you said it. Well, you already told me once. Yeah, but I want to make sure that you're hearing me. Because many times I said, could you do this? And then I see them walking away. And then halfway there, they say, what did you want again? They're just ready to walk. It's <laughs> so funny because it's almost predictable. Can you, can you go do this? No, they just start walking. I, I'm just waiting. Yeah, sure enough, they turn, uh, what did you want again? <laughs> or they totally forget and they do something else. That's because we're not truly obeying. An obe- uh, obedient person is someone that, that intelligently listens. Not just through the ear, not just a quick glance and, oh yeah, I'll, I'll try that. You know, No, no, intelligently listens. And that's why I try to train my kids to intelligently listen, <laughs> read my lips. You know, do something strange so that they remember what you said. <laughs> Maybe distract them so much that they totally forget. Anyways, number one, obedience would guarantee that the angel of the Lord would stand against their enemies. We already talked about that. He said, do all that I speak. It says, but if thou shalt indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy unto thine enemies and an adversary unto thine adversaries. How many of you want someone, a hero, to stand in your corner? Well, the only way you're getting that is through obedience. Folks, I'm surprised sometimes. I'll see someone, they're doing something totally against Scripture principle, and I tell them that, and they still don't change it. And I say, you know what? What can I do? I'm not going to lasso you and <laughs> force you to do it. I'm just trying to tell you because I care, and I don't want your enemies to overthrow you. But if you don't obey, you will be overthrown. You will be overthrown. So listen to it. Listen to the preaching. Read your Bible. I mean, intelligently hear the word of God and apply it. Don't just pretend it's, not, it's just going to be okay because we live in this age of grace and somehow God's not going to do Folks, you know how many families have destroyed themselves because that were once sitting in churches? Sure, it's maybe not a year or six months, but you know, over a period of five, ten years, it's just little by little, the foundation gets eroded until something happens and all of a sudden, I'm out of church. You never would have thought that 10 years ago. But it's because you didn't obey. You weren't listening. Amen? Now it's everybody else's fault why you're not walking with God. It's not true. If you're not walking with God, it's you. All on you. If I'm not walking, it's me. There's nobody I can blame. And I have to just look at the example of Christ, whose steps I'm supposed to follow as an example The Bible says, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he reviled not again. That's the example that I was told I was supposed to follow. So for me to go revile people and then blame it on them? No, it's your fault. You've been given the admonition from Scripture. You were told by God that you could do it. And you choose not to. You become bitter and angry. And I understand sometimes things, they really rock your boat, man. <laughs> you know, you get a little angry, but you've got to catch yourself. And you've got to get on your knees before God and say, Lord, I cannot go down that way. But there's a lot of Christians down that way. Lots of them. 
And yet they're still talking real spiritual. But there's no presence with them. No presence at all. Folks, you want to have the presence of God, you've got to obey him. You've got to follow his example. Number two, we must understand the Lord will fight for us if we choose to obey his word. I've got some scripture there. Uh, one good example is in Ephesians 6, 1 to 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long on the earth. Wonder how, it get, how do you have a life that's well? How do you live long? Not apart from God's presence. Child that does not obey the parents is basically saying, Lord, take me home sooner. Take my life off this, off this earth. You have no guarantee that you're going to fulfill your years. And that's a sad thing. And I've seen a lot of young people fall, fall right there and die. You know, not to say all die, but folks, it's serious stuff. And that's why we have to teach our kids these things, that they need the presence of God to go before them. Amen? Amen. Provoke him not, the next one is letter C. Here's another usage of this in the King James Bible is bitterness is provoked. Kohler, grieved, vexed, grieved him, provoked. All those different ways it was translated in the King James Bible. Provoke. So that means that you become bitter. And the Lord says, that's provoking me. You're provoking me. My son did all that for you. And you're going to sit there and hold that against that person. You are provoking me. Numbers 11, verse 4, And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a-lusting, and the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? I don't have enough. I need more money. I need a better job. Complain, complain, complain. Be careful. You might just be provoking the angel of the Lord in your life. Amen. I'll tell you something. You just give yourself to the Lord and be faithful. He will get you the job you need. It'll come out of, out of the woodwork, man. I don't know how, but he will take care of you. He will never leave you abandoned. Always take care of you. And if you're sitting in this place, well, I just don't know. I quit. I'm not going to try anymore. Try walking God's way for a while. Then at least you know. I don't have to carry this all on my shoulders. I tell our youth sometimes, you know, I know what it was like. You know, I didn't really know the Lord when I was a teenager. And I thought about the future, and I thought about the jobs, and I thought about family. I said, man, I don't know how to do this stuff, and it, and it bothered me. That's why I think sometimes these young people start taking drugs. They don't know how to handle their future. They don't know how to handle what's going on around them. They don't know how to process, how am I supposed to be all of that? I can't be all of that. Especially learning their whole life how worthless they are by their parents and people they've talked to, and now they're supposed to somehow continue on in victory? Well, there is no victory apart from the presence of God. But I'll tell you, if you have the presence of God, can I tell you something? You can bank on the fact, you know what? I'm going to do what I can. I'm going to do the Lord's will. But you know, I don't have to worry about what kind of job or career I'm going to have. He will open up those doors for you. Boy, I remember when the Lord called me or even before he called me and all I was focusing on is just going to church and being faithful and learning the Bible. I didn't think about the 10 years up the road, even five years up the road. I just says, I just want to be right with God. And, and it's amazing. As I did that, as I focused at the will of God under my feet, he began to sl- just doors began to just open in front of me. Even ones that I thought, I don't know if I want to walk through that. I'm scared of that. <laughs> but don't force the, the hand of God. You don't have to. You're carrying too much. Amen. I mean, so much is dependent upon the Lord. Numbers 21, verse 4, it says, And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of Red Sea to compass the land of Edom, and the soul of the people is much discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against God and against Moses. They start blaming God for their circumstance. Blame the leaders for your circumstances. And why I'm, why I'm not successful, why we're not happy. It's, it's because of these people in our life. You're provoking him. Because he knows it's not true. He knows the truth about you. He knows the truth about every person. Amen? 
And we kind of deceive ourselves into thinking, he's saying, what is wrong with you? <laughs> Stop provoking your God. Stop being bitter at my choice for your life. They were much discouraged because of the way. The way was God's way. He brought them that way. And they got discouraged because of it. That, my friend, is being, is provoking. <laughs> Amen? Provoking God. And of course, because of that, it says, for there's no bread, neither is any water. Our soul loatheth this light. They were disgusted with the manna that God had given them. They became disgusted with it. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Oh, no, God doesn't do that. That's the same God that's walking with you today. Same God. Not a different one. There's not an Old Testament God, New Testament God. <laughs> same God. Same person. Same attributes. Jesus was there. He was on the pole. <laughs> you know, He was present, healing the people as they turned to him. Amen? It's the only way out. Number two, Israel's failures were given to us as a warning. And you'll find that, we, I don't have time, but 1 Corinthians 10, 4 to 12 says that these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters as were some of them as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Worshiping Ashtaroth on the weekend, right? It's all about just having a good old time. Baal, the god of production during the week, will work and make money. Ashtaroth on the weekend, that's when we play and rise up and eat and do what we want to do because God wouldn't expect us not to have fun on the weekend. It better not take place of the angel of the Lord in your life. That's what he's saying here. Don't provoke God. Don't provoke him. There's nothing wrong with going on vacations and having some fun. But I'll tell you some many people to take it such a point that they're actually forfeiting the things of God for it already. And slowly but surely, God's being ousted out of their life where Astaroth is being set up on the weekend. Um, number three, the angel of the Lord has divine authority to not pardon sin if provoked. He will not pardon your transgressions. Don't provoke him. <clears throat> that means he's got the right to judge you. The Bible says that the Father committed all judgment unto the Son. We are, if we are living in a state of grieving the Holy Spirit, there's no forgiveness making fellowship with God impossible. You can't have fellowship with God if you're living in sin. Matthew 6, 14, is there somebody you can't forgive? It says, if, you forgive, if, you, if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That means if you hold a grudge or a bitterness against one person, he has not forgiven you of any of your trespasses since the day you held on to that. Whoa. Because you're not walking with him. You've chosen to take a dark road, not the light road. <laughs> we see that in 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. So you know what? It's, it's an automatic process. When you're walking in the word, you're doing right, you're going to be cleansed. You're going to be constantly purged and sanctified. But the moment you hold on to darkness and go a different way, you walk in darkness. He says, from that point on, I cannot do anything with you. No more cleansing. No more cleansing. And he said, well, at least I'm going to heaven. Sure. <laughs> but you're going to be miserable till you get there. And then you have that whole thing about looking Jesus in the eye thing, which is something, man, I would not want to live a thousand lifetimes like this for one minute like that. I can't imagine Peter when he looked at Jesus' eyes after he denied him three times. He knew what that was like. It drove him almost mad. <laughs> he left and went fishing. Boy, but when Jesus came back and offered him resolve resolution boy did he, he was the first one he 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 actually put his coat on to swim <laughs> bible says he was fishing in the boat naked that means his top was uncovered by the way men you ought not go bareback outside that's nakedness to god 
So what Jesus did, because he was in the presence of the Lord, he put his coat on in the boat, and then he dived in the water to meet Jesus at the shore. Oh, we're not that finicky, are we? (laughs) Is God that finicky? I'm going to tell you something. We have not been finicky enough with God's commands. Letter D is separate from the world and serve God exclusively. That's why he said, don't bow down to any other gods. Only serve the Lord. Now that's going to take some introspection in our life because it's not so easy today. All of our gods aren't represented by little pieces of stone and wood. (laughs) Amen. It was easy in the New Testament because you'd always have a piece of wood that would kind of uh, reveal what you worshipped. Remember with Israel, it was the same thing. The reason why they were brought into Babylon is because they worshipped these gods of wood and stone and so forth. But then they were released again back to Israel. They never ever to this day have worshipped wood, stone, and anything like that. God cured them of that. But guess where those idols went? Into the heart. You read the book of Ezekiel. They worshipped the idol of the heart. And God says, shall I listen to these people? that worship idols in their heart? Shall I tell them the truth? In fact, he says, if you've got idols in your heart, I'm actually going to send a lying spirit to deceive you. That's what he said. You're, you're going to pray and say, God, I really want to do this, but you've got an idol in your heart. Your motivations aren't right. You don't want to do it for the right reasons. You don't want to serve God. You're just trying to fulfill some desire you have in your life. You know what God will do? Go ahead. You tell her, I prayed, and God said, It's okay amazing he allows a lying spirit to come in there but that's only if you have an idol in your heart that's why you gotta be humble before god it's all gotta be about him <laughs> lord whatever you want i'll do it no matter how hard it is i'll take that i'll make that decision i'll take that action whatever it is separate the new testament passage second corinthians six fourteen. but be not a unequally yoked together with unbelievers for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness and what communion hath light with darkness be careful what you connect with be careful of partnerships be careful of anything any covenant any agreement with anything that's why of course you'd never be a part of the lost man <laughs> don't do it Bible says be not unequally yoked you got an oxen and you got a donkey You're trying to pull the same plow. The Lord says, that's an abomination to me. Right? What fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? That means if you're going to connect with somebody, you better make sure they're just as on fire for God as you are, if not more. Amen? My advice is always don't connect. (laughs) Stay free. Don't be another man's servant that way. I mean, it's different when you're working on a job. You can always just say, I'll see you later if they're going to get you to worship idols. But don't you sign on that dotted line where now I have to, you know. Wherefore, come out from among them, be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. So this communion, this presence has to do with relationship. It has to do with a fatherly relationship. It has to do with me being a son or a daughter to the Father in heaven. See, that's got to be a desire of your heart. If you don't desire that, you'll probably not separate from the world. I remember when I smoked cigarettes, that's the only thing that got me out of it, is this verse right here. It wasn't just touch not the unclean thing. It was the next one, and I'll receive you. That's what got me. I was so tired of being alone in my life. I was tired of not having my prayers answered. I was tired of my prayers just hitting the ceiling and coming down. I was tired of not feeling close to him because that stinking cigarette in my hand. And other things. See, he's the only way we can get free. You have to obey him. Then you have the presence of God in your life. Boy, after that, After I got free of that, the Lord just, boy, he just (laughs) engulfed me and and set me on my way. It was amazing. It was just amazing. Let her eat growing as God prepares our path. 
Exodus 23, 29, I will not drive them out before thee in a year, lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field multiply against thee. But little and little, by little and little, I will drive them up before thee until thou be increased and inherit the land. I will set thy bounds from the Red Sea and so forth. It says the promised land is all that God promised for you on this side of heaven. So every one of us, we have a complete boundary that the Lord has planned for you. It's not up for grabs. That means it's not something that's, I wonder what's going to happen. That was predetermined before you took your first breath. Jeremiah proved that. You know, I've called thee from your mother's womb. He called him before he even spoke a word, before he took his first breath. He always knew, God already knew this is the prophet you're going to be. So God already knows your boundary. <laughs> he already knows the will of God for you, completely. <laughs> so that means we've got to be careful. We don't just go and try to fabricate our own, amen? But he doesn't dump the complete will of God in our laps. That's what he's saying here. I'm not just going to throw you into the land and you, tomorrow you're going to take it all. He says, but little by little, I'm going to go before you and we're going to start knocking down these enemies one by one and we're going to start to fill up the boundary of that land. See, that's how it is, even for preachers. We're still, Brother Bourgeois, he's still doing that. I am too, I'm still doing that. I haven't reached all those boundaries yet. One day I'm going to. Well, especially when I see Jesus, amen. The Lord expects us to grow into his will for our lives in Ephesians 4.15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. So we grow up into him. So what is the boundaries? Basically, Christ is the boundary. So we grow up into him. So you're pretty safe. If you don't know what to do, you'll always know who to be. Do you understand that? Well, I just don't know what to do. I'm, I'm going to give up. I don't. <laughs> There's enough for you to think about who to be for the rest of your days without even worrying about what to do. But I'll guarantee you this. When you know who to be, your what to do is going to follow right on the heels of it. That's why Jesus says, follow me and I'll make you to become fishers of men. He says, if you'll become like me, the result of that is going to, you're going to go win souls to Christ. That's the, that's the result. Amen? And so grow up into him. First Peter 2.2, 2, this gives us the analogy of being a baby. It says, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. And anybody that gets saved should understand that you are a baby. And I, I have done that. Even the last two we led to Christ in the door knock. And I says, you guys are just babies now. And you need someone to give you milk. Now it's up to them. They want to be stubborn, don't want to listen, you know. But you got to tell them. This is a growth process here. You've got to become what the Lord wants you to be. In 2 Peter 3.18, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Romans 12.2, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is a good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You notice that you've got to first reject the mold of the world before your mind can be renewed. You can't say, I'm going to fit the world's mold here, and then somehow I'm being perfected. You're not. You've got to reject it. Amen. Uh, number two, our goal should be to complete God's will for our lives. Is that your last blank? Okay. So give you a couple of thoughts here and we'll be done. Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So you know what that means? That the works that you're supposed to do have been foreordained even before you got saved. You're supposed to walk in those works. So it's not left up to you to choose what I'm going to do. <laughs> it's about you surrendering to what the Lord has already preordained for your life. Um, there's another one here. There's so many. How about Hebrews 10.35? Cast not away therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For you have need of patience, that after you've done the will of God, you, you might receive the promise. So we have to give ourselves to completing it and then realizing 
that there's a reward to follow. But you know what it says in 2 John? For many deceivers are entering into the world who confess not that Jesus has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and antichrist. I don't care if they call themselves a religion or an atheist or an agnostic, agnostic or a scientist. I don't care who they are. If they, did, if they totally deny that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, you have just met a deceiver and an antichrist. They don't have to belong to a cult. They don't have to belong to some obscure religion. Anybody, anybody, any person that you allow in your life that does not claim that Jesus Christ has come from heaven to be a man to die for your sins. My friend, be careful what you listen to. They are real smart. They go to university. They have degrees. Boy, I should listen to them. No. That's why many Christians fail. It says, look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, that we receive a full reward. Because the devil is always looking to steal the will of God for your life. The full boundary. Complete. That's what he wants for you. You need to make sure the decisions that you're making are according to the will of God for your life. Number one, by doing that, generally in the scripture, are you submitted to the Bible? Have you submitted to the Lord in the little voice from behind saying, take a right, take a left? In the preaching, so many times it comes to the top, and I know I have been there. It comes to the top, and ah, you know, I just kind of, it's so easy to just stick it in the shelf. You ever done that? Sure you have, because you're just like me. But that thing that you're taking away from the top where the Holy Spirit has pushed it to the place where you could see it is exactly what's keeping you from fulfilling God's will for your life. Let's put it on the shelf. And then you can just go another day the way I've always gone. (laughs) You know, do you want it to change? (laughs) You want to wake up with joy in your heart and peace knowing you're in the will of God completely? You've got to start taking God seriously. The Bible says, beware of him. Circumspectly. The angel of the Lord is guiding your life. (laughs) And if you'll listen to him, he'll take all your enemies down. He'll protect you along the way, but you have to choose his way.